The Legal Corner Podcast Series. Welcome to today's episode of The Legal Corner, a podcast which covers a variety of legal issues to keep you informed. Hosted by attorney at law Colin Dinoon and communication specialist Leonardo Torres. Great to be back with you on the Legal Corner podcast series. Leonardo will join us in a subsequent episode when he's able to do so. In today's episode, we'll be looking at the law of the sea. And our distinguished guest is Mr. Farai Andre Musa Hove Masaisai. He's the senior partner at Hove and Associates. Just to tell you a bit about him, Farai's mantra in life is that you are blessed to be a blessing unto others. Throughout his life, Farai Andre Musa Hove Masaisai has built a legacy of service that stands on a foundation of character and faith in God. Hove, as he is fondly called, is the founder and senior partner at Hove, an associate attorney at law, owner of Hove's Court, a center of excellence, and founder of the scholarships focused Hove Foundation. Professionally, as an attorney at law, Farai is known for his advocacy powers, having successfully represented clients in the Industrial Court, High Court, Court of Appeal, and the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council. He holds a Master's of Laws in Sports Law from the Nottingham Law School in the UK with commendations. Most recently, he has completed an LLM in Maritime Law from the City University of London. Farai is married to Shoshana Scarlett Hove Masaisai for the past 12 years and he is the father of three lovely children. He supports Chelsea Football Club for those um, football fans out there. All right, good day to you, Farai, and welcome to the Legal Corner Podcast Series. Good day, Colin. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to have you on, man. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm blessed. Um, um, just give thanks for life. You know, every day is a blessing just to just wake up and say thank you, God, for today. Now, we are going to get right into it. Tell us, uh, what do the territorial waters of an initial state consist of? So basically, the territorial waters of a nation state is really consists of, um, I think it's 12 nautical miles from your coastline, which is about 22.2 kilometers um, from your, your coast, your baseline. Um, this is in accordance with um, a treaty, an international treaty, that is the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea. Um, the majority of the world sides on to it, except I think six countries, um, does not are not signatories to it. But it basically regulates how um, nations and certainly member states would um, explore and exploit their natural resources within their boundaries. So the United Nations, in terms of the conventions on the law of the sea, um, it not, doesn't just regulate um, your territorial waters, but it also regulates the high seas as well. All right? Um, so, yeah. So, in terms of what is the territorial waters, we're looking at that boundary within 12 
12 nautical miles, within 12 nautical miles of your, your coastline. Um, that is what you are lawfully entitled to. Um, once you sign up to the treaty, and Trinidad and Tobago has been a member state, I think, since 1982. We have been a member of the of this particular treaty. Now, I know there are different zones. So, for example, there's the exclusive economic zone, there's the contiguous zone, and all the different things like that. So, what does a nation state have control over in these different zones? All right. So, you, you have control over, basically, the development of your resources. So, most nation states would, um, would look to control their natural resources. Um, naturally, those natural resources, say, for example... In the case of Trinidad, or we could look at the recent dispute. There has been a recent dispute in the International um, Court of Justice with um, Guyana and Venezuela with regards to border border issues. And naturally, those border issues concern oil and gas that is located um, in the border area of these countries. Um, the United Nations, through their conventions, try to settle these disputes um, amicably. And when I say amicably, it's usually with tribunals and arbitration as opposed to um, warfare. <laughs> at the, at the <laughs> most extreme, at the most extreme is warfare. Um, then there's obviously a litigation and then um, there's arbitration or alternative dispute resolution. So the, 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 the whole purpose of these uh, maritime treaties are to bring countries together with a view that when there is a dispute, because there's always a dispute over who has access to the oil reserves or the gas reserves or, or, or to, to exploration rights, um, there's always that dispute. Um, so, for example, oh, we, we have recently been given a license to explore um, some gas that we have with um, Venezuela. Yes, so the license was given to us by the United States, who, who is one of our major, um, what do you call it, purchasers of natural gas, right? Um, so in that, we can explore the oil and gas as well as the, um, the, the natural resources in the waters that touch both um, countries because they sort of overlap, all right? So when, when you look at the 12, the 12 nautical miles, it, it, it really goes into um, Venezuela, and Venezuela comes, parts of Venezuela's waters comes into Trinidad. So there's a kind of a, a blurred wall. So it's not a, <laughs> it's water, but, but if, you, if, you, if, if you were to measure it, we kind of, in there are points where, Trinidad and Venezuela, because we are so close. I, I believe at some points in our country, you can actually go and just watch and you can see the horizon of Venezuela. So far less, the, when you start to count the, 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 the what is between us, meaning the sea, um, there will be a natural overlap. And in that, you have to have that negotiations and conversations, high-level conversations. It's usually either the prime ministers or the presidents of the different country. In the case of... Um, Venezuela, it's a pre, uh, executive president. Um, in the case of Trinidad, you always see our prime minister or um, someone right hand, uh, as in the minister of energy or somebody, will go there because most of the negotiations is on policy. Policy before we can get to the actual 
exploration and the the, 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 the contracts and, and that sort of thing. Yeah? So so yeah, it, it, it's it's about maximizing the resources for the betterment of the, the nation, you know. Now, what would you say is the importance of the United Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea? Commonly referred okay, to so as UNCLOS. Imp- right. So the, the importance of um, the United Nations, I think it's the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea. Yes, you quite rightly said. That, that is important because it creates a sort of uniformity in terms of regulations. Um, we as attorneys, we know that um, law is there to, to, to create some kind of order. Um, the nature of maritime law is that maritime law um, really in, re, really came about um, because of international trade. Um, it, it, it obviously reared its ugly head in terms of the slave trade. Um, but from the time nations started to explore, um, because the majority of the earth is, is water, the majority of the world is, is water. So if you do not regulate what we have in the majority, then there would be a case of piracy, you know, like um, Sir Henry Morgan and them pirates. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they're still pirates, you know. Um, we see it with the Somali pirates and they, when, they, when they hijack um, oil tankers and that sort of thing. So the, the role of the United Nations is to try to limit disputes between member states and, and disputes worldwide. Um, by having a set of rules that parties will abide by, and they will, and certainly with the disputes, they they recognize the the authority of the dispute resolution panels, the the um, international court of justice, and so forth. So the the benefit in being a member state, especially for the smaller member states, say like Trinidad is that the rule goes for all. So you could be as big as Russia, or you could be as small as Tobago, um, and the, the rules apply equally to you. All right? So you wouldn't have a situation where, um, let's say Mexico say they want to just come to Trinidad and get some oil in the Gulf of Paria. No, you can't do that. You know? um, so it, it, creates, it creates safety in numbers, um, and, and, and it's always a one country, one vote system in the United Nations. So it's not as if because my country is bigger than yours, I get three votes. You know, um, it's one man, one vote or one country, one vote. And the, the and it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of treaties that govern the, um, the Caesar. Um, right. But, but it, it just creates order. It creates order. Without it, there wouldn't be no one. It'll be, it'll be lawlessness on the high seas, and okay. certainly we're in, in situations where um, every every country de- de- relies on trade. You know whether you're trading in commodities, whether it be wheat, rice, um, oil, gas, um, liquefied natural gas. The fact is that you you, you need to use the seas to trade. I, uh, I haven't I haven't yet seen a plane fly with um. With oil, <laughs> you know, it's always an oil tanker, <laughs> you know, and it goes across the seas, you know. So it, yeah. it creates that level of security, um, and it creates that level of um, of trade, a, a way to do business, global global business on the seas, regulated. That right. is. 
Now, I know there's the International Seabed Authority. Uh, talk to us about the role of that entity. So the International Seabed Authority, it is an intergovernmental organization, again, established by the United Nations. Um, it falls under their Convention on the Law of the Sea. Um, it was established in 1994. Its role is to regulate and manage the mineral resources of the international seabed, but beyond the limits of the nat- na- national jurisdiction. All right? So, as I said before, the national jurisdiction will give you that 12 nautical miles from your shore, right? So, naturally, there is more sea out there. You know, um, I, I think it's approximately 50% of the Earth's surface is in the open sea. And the role of the International Seabed Authority is to basically regulate how those resources in the open sea are cultivated, right? Um, and because it is done under the United Nations, meaning the majority of the world are members of the UN, right? Um the, the the exploits from the development of those resources are normally funneled into developing nations um, to help with um, things like healthcare, um, education, and that sort of thing. All right. Um, so the ISA is responsible for overseeing the exploration, exploitation, and production of the mineral resources in the international waters that are that fall outside. Of a national's jurisdiction, right? So, and that's that. That's to show how important the United Nations is. So it, 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 sometimes when I hear people arguing over the UN, I was like, "You all biting the hand that feeds you," because the UN naturally pumps resources into third world countries based on developing these um these minerals and these rights in the open sea. Um. So yeah. So that, that that's that's basically the ISA. Um, the fact of the matter is Jamaica is the home of the International Seabed Authority, which is not a small thing. Um, it is a major thing um, because a lot of countries would have um, put forward bids to, to, to house it, you know, um, because of the benefits that the authority brings naturally to, to any developing country. All right, so it's housed there in Jamaica, in Kingston, and they they deal with the logistics of of the organization. Um, yeah, that that's the International Seabed Authority. At this point, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back and thank you for staying with us. Uh, for, for right before the break, you were just talking to us about the International Seabed Authority and its locality in Jamaica. I want to shift gears a bit now and let us talk about the penalties. So what are the penalties for entering the territorial waters of Trinidad and Tobago illegally? All right. So naturally, territorial waters will fall under national security. All right, so we, we know that, or 
borders are supposed to be patrolled by our coast guards. So they would be the ones who would charge persons with any offenses um, that will fall under the, the Defense Act. Um, the, so it, I, and I'll, I'll just say it verbatim. So Section 6 of the Defense Act, it says that an officer or petty officer in command in any unit of the Coast Guard in any case where he has reasonable cause to suspect that any vessel is engaged in any unlawful operation, whatever, within the territorial archipelagic or internal waters of Trinidad and Tobago, you stop on board and search with any assistance and every part of that vessel, and if he thinks it is necessary, may might direct the vessel to proceed to a place which he may specify. In the excess of in the exercise of that power, um, the officer may detain the the vessel, um, and any person he has reason to believe is engaged in assisting or carrying out any unlawful operation um, on the vessel. Um, use of such force may be necessary to compel the vessel to comply with any directions he may give. So it, that section of the Defense Act <coughs> gives a lot of power to the Coast Guards, all right? Uh, <coughs> naturally, you have to have permission to enter any territorial waters, all right? If it is that you, especially if you, if, if you don't have the flag of the nation in which the territory you're going into, um, normally you notify the, <coughs> the customs because naturally persons can smuggle in any contraband or unlawful, um, how you call it, um, guns and that sort of thing. If the customs are, customs are not notified that you, you are coming into their jurisdiction. Um, so it's both Coast Guard and Customs usually stops and search um, any vessel that they, they decide they have that um, unfettered discretion, especially if it is an unflagged national vessel. So, um, so for example, if it, it, a vessel is coming from Grenada to Trinidad, because Grenada is quite, quite uh, close by in terms of um, cargo, um, they usually have to, well, they always, they always inform the customs, because they have to inspect the cargo and that sort of thing. Um, so it, it is an offense under the Defense Act to just enter Trinidad without permission. Um, it's not a free fall. It's not an um, open harbor, per se. Um, a lot of our law is common law. Um, so in, in essence, if it is that you are charged with an offense, you can challenge it. You can review the decision. Um, if you think that it, the, the, the decision um, maker um, didn't give you um, natural justice or opportunity to be heard, because remember, these things could happen at the dead of night. If it is, they come in in the night and they stop you. They, they can confiscate your vessel. They can um, restrain you for a period of time until they decide that you have all your documents in a row. Um, so, yeah, so... There are penalties in place, um, but yeah, it, it, it's under the Defense Act. All right. Now, for fishermen who are engaged in that type of activity, how do they know where Trinidad and Tobago's waters end and Venezuela's waters begin so that they don't end up in any type of difficulty with the law? <laughs> well, most fishermen should, should have some kind of experience fishing that. Because if mm-hmm. you go over in Venezuela's um, territory, you know, Venezuela's law is completely different to Trinidad law. 
So um, whereas in Trinidad, you might end up with a fine. Um, so, for example, if Venezuelan fishermen end up in Trinidad, more, more, more likely than not, they would be fined as opposed to in prison. Their, their fish would be confiscated, obviously. Um, but in, if you go over in Venezuela, most of the time they just arrest you. Um, and the position in Venezuela is not as, I would say, not as democratic as in Trinidad in terms of access to justice and that sort of thing. So you might be there for quite some time um, trying to get out of prison. So right. usually when, okay. tr- when Trinidadian fishermen end up in Venezuela, um, in terms of my experience with families, it's always a, a high-level negotiation between the diplomats to try to get them out, you know, as opposed to a, just a legal issue. We always have to go through the embassy um, and, and get the embassy involved in trying to to release them back into Trinidad custody. Yeah? So right. it, in terms of knowing your boundaries, for a Trinidadian fisherman, I, my, my simple advice is to go with an experienced fisherman, all right? Because it's not like if there is a line or a flag saying, hey, you're, you're drifting. No, it doesn't have that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Now, as we are getting ready to go, tell us uh, what, who has jurisdiction over crimes committed on the high seas? Well, in terms of crimes committed on the high seas, um, it's normally with the flag. Who has jurisdiction is the, is the country that your ship is flagged to. All right? So even if you are on the high seas and you commit a crime, um, it's usually the, you, you would tr- be tried under the... So if I'm in Trinidad, a Trinidad flagship, but we in, we, we in Jamaican waters, the jurisdiction will fall under Trinidad. See, what they'll do is that they'll send it back to Trinidad. Unless it's piracy. So in case of piracy and cases of breaches of national security, the um the under the convention, they allow the person that is the country that is being impacted by the piracy to, to try the pirate. Yeah? Because pirates don't really have flagship. They they, they, they might have kidnap a ship or some kind of thing like that. Right? Yeah, but of um, course. and certainly if it is a situation where you are in someone else's water for the purposes of messing about with their national security, um, public policy reasons, um, national security would trump the, um, the the convention. But it's actually in the convention they says that they say that um, that's the exception. But once your ship is flagged, um, they send you back to the country that you your ship is flagged to for jurisdictional purposes. All right, Friday, this has been a great conversation. Thank you very much for stopping by. Yeah, man. Thanks, Colin, for having me. Um, blessings, man. Blessings. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Legal Corner podcast series. For more information, please visit us at our Facebook or Instagram pages or send your comments to the Legal Corner podcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.